Section 87 of The Genius by Theodore Dreiser. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book 3, Chapter 14. For hours that night, until one, two, and three o'clock in the morning, from five, six, and seven, on until noon, and night of the next day, and the next day after that, and the fourth day, and the fifth day, the storm continued. It was a terrible siege, heart-burning, heart-breaking, brain-racking. Mrs. Dale lost weight rapidly. The color left her cheeks. A haggard look settled in her eyes. She was terrified, nonplussed, driven to extremities for means, wherewith to overcome Suzanne's opposition and suddenly but terribly developed will. No one would have dreamed that this quiet, sweet-mannered, introspective girl could be so positive, convinced, and unbending when in action. She was as a fluid body that has become adamant. She was a creature made of iron, a girl with a heart of stone. Nothing moved her. Her mother's tears, her threats of social ostracism, of final destruction, of physical and moral destruction, for Eugene and herself, her threats of public exposure in the newspapers, of incarceration in an asylum. Suzanne had watched her mother a long time and concluded that she loved to talk imposingly in an easy, philosophic, at times pompous way, but that really there was very little in what she said. She did not believe that her mother had true courage, that she would risk incarcerating her in an asylum, or exposing Eugene to her own disadvantage, let alone poisoning or killing her. Her mother loved her. She would rage terribly for a time this way, then she would give in. It was Suzanne's plan to wear her down, to stand her ground firmly until her mother wearied and broke under the strain. Then she would begin to say a few words for Eugene, and eventually, by much arguing and blustering, her mother would come round. Eugene would be admitted to the family councils again. He and Suzanne would argue it all out together in her mother's presence. They probably would agree to disagree in a secret way, but she would get Eugene and he her. Oh, the wonder of that joyous denouement! It was so near now, and all for a little courageous fighting. She would fight, fight until her mother broke, and then, oh, Eugene, Eugene! Mrs. Dale was not so easily overcome as Suzanne imagined. Haggard and worn as she was, she was far from yielding. There was an actual physical conflict between them once when Suzanne, in the height of an argument, decided that she would call up Eugene on the phone and ask him to come down and help her settle the discussion. Mrs. Dale was determined that she should not. The servants were in the house listening unable to catch at first the drift of the situation, but knowing almost by intuition that there was a desperate discussion going on. Suzanne decided to go down to the library, where the phone was. Mrs. Dale put her back to the door and attempted to deter her. Suzanne tried to open it by pulling. Her mother unloosed her hands desperately, but it was very difficult. Suzanne was so strong. For shame, she said, for shame, to make your mother contest with you. 
oh the degradation the while she was struggling finally angry hysteric tears coursed involuntarily down her cheeks and suzanne was moved at last it was so obvious that this was real bitter heart-burning on her mother's part her hair was shaken loose on one side her sleeve torn oh my goodness my goodness mrs dale gasped at last throwing herself in a chair and sobbing bitterly i shall never lift my head again i shall never lift my head suzanne looked at her somewhat sorrowfully i'm sorry mamma she said but you have brought it all on yourself i needn't call him now he will call me and i will answer it all comes from your trying to rule me in your way you won't realize that i am a personality also quite as much as you are i have my life to live it is mine to do with as i please you are not going to prevent me in the long run you might just as well stop fighting with me now i don't want to quarrel with you i don't want to argue but i am a grown woman mamma why don't you listen to reason why don't you let me show you how i feel about this two people loving each other have a right to be with each other it isn't anyone else's concern anyone else's concern anyone else's concern replied her mother viciously what nonsense what silly love-sick drivel if you had any idea of life of how the world is organized you would laugh at yourself ten years from now one year even you will begin to see what a terrible mistake you are trying to make you will scarcely believe that you could have done or said what you are doing and saying now anyone else's concern oh merciful heaven will nothing put even a suggestion of the wild foolish reckless character of the thing you are trying to do in your mind but i love him mamma said suzanne love love you talk about love said her mother bitterly and hysterically what do you know about it do you think he can be loving you when he wants to come here and take you out of a good home and a virtuous social condition and wreck your life and bring you down into the mire your life and mine and that of your sisters and brother forever and ever what does he know of love what do you think of adelaide and nanette and kinroy have you no regard for them where is your love for me and for them oh i have been so afraid that kinroy might hear something of this he would go and kill him i know he would i couldn't prevent it oh the shame the scandal the wreck it would involve us all in have you no conscience suzanne no heart suzanne stared before her calmly the thought of kinroy moved her a little he might kill eugene she couldn't tell he was a courageous boy still there was no need for any killing or exposure or excitement of any kind if her mother would only behave herself what difference did it make to her or kinroy or anybody else what she did why couldn't she if she wanted to the risk was on her head she was willing she couldn't see what harm it would do she expressed this thought to her mother once who answered in an impassioned plea for her to look at facts how many evil women of the kind and character you would like to make of yourself do you know how many would you like to know how many do you suppose there are in good society look at the situation from mrs Wiltla's point of view how would you like to be in her place how would you like to be in mine suppose you were mrs Wiltla, 
and Mrs. Whitla were the other woman. What then? I would let him go, said Suzanne. Yes, 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 you would let him go. You might. But how would you feel? How would anyone feel? Can't you see the shame in all this? The disgrace? Have you no comprehension at all? No feeling? Oh, how you talk, Mamma! How silly you talk. You don't know the facts. Mrs. Whitla doesn't love him any more. She told me so. She has written me so. I had the letter and gave it back to Eugene. He doesn't care for her. She knows it. She knows he cares for me. What difference does it make if she doesn't love him? He's entitled to love somebody. Now I love him. I want him. He wants me. Why shouldn't we have each other? In spite of all her threats, Mrs. Dale was not without subsidiary thoughts of what any public move on her part would certainly, not probably, but immediately involve. Eugene was well known. To kill him, which was really very far from her thoughts, in any save a very secret way, would create a tremendous sensation and involve no end of examination, discussion, excited publicity. To expose him to either Colfax or Winfield meant, in reality, exposing Suzanne to them, and possibly to members of her own social set, for these men were of it, and might talk. Eugene's resignation would cause comment. If he left, Suzanne might run away with him, then what? There was the thought on her part that the least discussion or whisper of this to anybody might produce the most disastrous results. What capital the so-called yellow newspapers would make out of a story of this character. How they would gloat over the details. It was a most terrible and dangerous situation, and yet it was plain that something had to be done, and that immediately. What? In this crisis it occurred to her that several things might be done, and that without great danger of irremediable consequences, if she could only have a little time in which Suzanne would promise to remain quiescent and do so. If she could get her to say that she would do nothing for ten days or five days, all might be well for them. She could go to see Angela, Eugene, Mr. Colfax, if necessary, to leave Suzanne in order to go on these various errands, she had to obtain Suzanne's word, which she knew she could respect absolutely, that she would make no move of any kind until the time was up, under pretense that Suzanne herself needed to think, or should take it. She pleaded and pleaded, until finally the girl, on condition that she be allowed to phone to Eugene and state how things stood, consented. Eugene had called her up on the second day after the quarrel began, and had been informed by the butler, at Mrs. Dale's request, that she was out of town. He called the second day and got the same answer. He wrote to her, and Mrs. Dale hid the letter. But on the fourth day, Suzanne called him up and explained. The moment she did so, he was sorry that she had been so hasty in telling her mother, terribly so, but there was nothing to be done now save to stand by his guns. He was ready, in a grim way, to rise or fall so long as, in doing either, he should obtain his heart's desire. "'Shall I come and help you argue?' he asked. "'No, not for five days. I've given my word.' "'Shall I see you?' "'No, not for five days, Eugene.' "'Mayn't I even call you up?' "'No, not for five days. After that, yes.' 
all right flower face divine fire i'll obey i'm yours to command but oh sweet it's a long time i know but it will pass and you won't change no they can't make you no you know they can't dearest why do you ask oh i can't help feeling a little fearful sweet you are so young so new to love i won't change i won't change i don't need to swear i won't very well then myrtle bloom she hung up the receiver and mrs dale knew now that her greatest struggle was before her her several contemplated moves consisted first in going to see mrs witla unknown to suzanne and eugene learning what she knew of how things were and what she would advise this really did no good unless the fact that it fomented anew the rage and grief of angela and gave mrs dale additional material wherewith to belabor eugene and could be said to be of an advantage angela who had been arguing and pleading with eugene all this time endeavoring by one thought and another to awaken him to a sense of the enormity of the offence he was contemplating was practically in despair she had reached the point where she had become rather savage again and he also in spite of her condition in spite of all she could say he was cold and bitter so insistent that he was through with the old order that he made her angry instead of leaving him as she might have done trusting to time to alter his attitude or teach her the wisdom of releasing him entirely she preferred to cling to him for there was still affection left she was used to him he was the father of her coming child unwelcome as it was he represented her social position to her her station in the world why should she leave him then too there was this fear of the outcome which would come over her like a child she might die what would become of the child you know mrs dale she said at one point significantly i don't hold suzanne absolutely guiltless she is old enough to know better she has been out in society long enough to know that a married man is sacred property to another woman i know i know replied mrs dale resentfully but cautiously but suzanne is so young you really don't know how much of a child she is and she has this silly idealistic emotional disposition i suspected something of it but i did not know it was so strong i'm sure i don't know where she gets it her father was most practical but she was all right until your husband persuaded her that may be all true went on angela but she is not guiltless i know eugene he's weak he will not follow where he is not led and no girl need to be tempted unless she wants to suzanne is so young again pleaded mrs dale well i'm sure if she knew mr witla's record accurately went on angela foolishly that she wouldn't want him i have written her she ought to know he isn't honest and he isn't moral as this thing shows if this were the first time he had fallen in love with another woman i could forgive him but it isn't he did something quite as bad six or seven years ago and only two years before that there was another woman he wouldn't be faithful to suzanne if he had her it would be a case of blazing affection for a little while and then he would tire and cast her aside why you can tell what sort of a man he is when he would propose to me as he did here 
that I should let him maintain a separate establishment for Suzanne and say nothing of it. The idea! Mrs. Dale clicked her lips significantly. She considered Angela foolish for talking in this way, but it could not be helped now. Possibly Eugene had made a mistake in marrying her. That did not excuse him, however, in her eyes, for wanting to take Suzanne under the conditions he proposed. If he were free, it would be an entirely different matter. His standing, his mind, his manners were not objectionable, though he was not to the manner born. Mrs. Dale went away toward evening, greatly nonplussed by what she had seen and heard, but convinced that no possible good could come of the situation. Angela would never give him a divorce. Eugene was not a fit man morally for her daughter anyhow. There was great scandal on the verge of exposure here, in which her beloved daughter would be irretrievably smirched. In her desperation, she decided, if she could do no better, she would try to dissuade Eugene from seeing Suzanne until he could obtain a divorce, in which case, to avoid something worse, she would agree to a marriage. But this was only to be a lip promise. The one thing she wanted to do was to get Suzanne to give him up entirely. If Suzanne could be spirited away, or dissuaded, from throwing herself away on Eugene, that would be the thing. Still, she proposed to see what a conversation with Eugene would do. The next morning, he was sitting in his office wondering what the delay of five days portended, and what Suzanne was doing, as well as trying to fix his mind on the multitudinous details which required his constant attention, and were now being rather markedly neglected. The card of Mrs. Emily Dale was laid on his table, and a few moments later, after his secretary had been dismissed, and word given that no one else was to be allowed to enter, Mrs. Dale was shown in. She was pale and weary, but exquisitely dressed in a greenish-blue silk, and picture-hat of black straw and feathers. She looked quite young and handsome herself, not too old for Eugene, and indeed, once she had fancied he might well fall in love with her. What her thoughts were, at that time, she was not now willing to recall, for they had involved the probable desertion or divorce or death of Angela and Eugene's passionate infatuation for her. All that was over now, of course, and, in the excitement and distress, almost completely obliterated. Eugene had not forgotten that he had had similar sensations or imaginations at the time, and that Mrs. Dale had always drawn to him in a sympathetic and friendly way. Here she was, though, this morning, coming upon a desperate mission, no doubt, and he would have to contend with her as best he could. The conversation opened by his looking into her set face as she approached and smiling blandly, though it was something of an effort. Well, he said, in quite a businesslike way, what can I do for you? You villain, she exclaimed melodramatically. My daughter has told me all. Yes, Suzanne phoned me that she told you, he replied, in a conciliatory tone. Yes, she said in a low, tense voice, I ought to kill you where you stand. To think that I should have ever harbored such a monster as you in my home and near my dear, innocent daughter. It seems incredible now. I can't believe it. 
that you should dare and you with a dear sweet wife at home sick and in the condition she is in i should think if you had any manhood at all any sense of shame when i think of that poor dear little woman what you have been doing or trying to do if it weren't for the scandal you would never leave this office alive oh bother don't talk rot mrs dale said eugene quietly though irritably he did not care for her melodramatic attitude the dear darling little woman you speak of is not as badly off as you think and i don't think she needs as much of your sympathy as you are so anxious to give she is pretty well able to take care of herself sick as she is as for killing me you or anyone else well that wouldn't be such a bad idea i'm not so much in love with life this is not fifty years ago though but the nineteenth century and this is new york city i love suzanne she loves me we want each other desperately now an arrangement can be made which will not interfere with you in any way and which will adjust things for us suzanne is anxious to make that arrangement it is as much her proposition as it is mine why should you be so vastly disturbed you know a great deal about life why should i be disturbed why should i can you sit in this office you a man in charge of all this vast public work and ask me in cold blood why i should be disturbed and my daughter's very life at stake why should i be disturbed and my daughter only out of her short dresses a little while ago and practically innocent of the world you dare to tell me that she proposed oh you impervious scoundrel to think that i should be so mistaken in any human being you with your bland manners and your inconsistent talk of happy family life i might have understood though when i saw you so often without your wife i should have known i did god help me but i didn't act upon it i was taken by your bland gentlemanly attitude i don't blame poor dear little suzanne i blame you you utterly deceiving villain and myself for being so silly i am being justly rewarded however eugene merely looked at her and drummed with his fingers but i did not come here to blandy words with you she went on i came to say that you must never see my daughter again or speak of her or appear where she might chance to be though she won't be where you may appear if i have my way for you won't have a chance to appear anywhere in decent society very much longer i shall go unless you agree here and now never to see or communicate with her any more to mr colfax whom i know personally as you are aware and lay the whole matter before him i am sure with what i know now of your record and what you have attempted to do in connection with my daughter and the condition of your wife that he will not require your services very much longer i shall go to mr winfield who is also an old friend and lay the matter before him privately you will be drummed out of society and my daughter will be none the worse for it she is so very young that when the facts are known you are the only one who will bear the odium of this your wife is giving me your wretched record only yesterday you would like to make suzanne your fourth or fifth well you will not i will show you something you have not previously known you are dealing with a desperate mother defy me if you dare i demand 
that you write your farewell to Suzanne here and now, and let me take it to her. Eugene smiled sardonically. Mrs. Dale's reference to Angela made him bitter. She had been there, and Angela had talked of him, his past to her. What a mean thing to do. After all, Angela was his wife. Only the morning before, she had been appealing to him on the grounds of love, and she had not told him of Mrs. Dale's visit. Love, love, what sort of love was this? He had done enough for her to make her generous in a crisis like this, even if she did not want to be. Write you a statement of release to Suzanne, he observed, his lips curling. How silly! Of course I won't. And as for your threat to run to Mr. Colfax, I've heard that before from Mrs. Whitla. There's the door. His office is twelve flights down. I'll call a boy if you wish. You tell it to Mr. Colfax, and see how much farther it goes before you are much older. Run to Mr. Winfield also. A lot I care about him or Mr. Colfax. If you want a grand, interesting discussion of this thing, just begin. It will go far and wide, I assure you. I love your daughter. I'm desperate about her. I'm literally crazy about her, he got up. She loves me, or I think she does. Anyhow, I'm banking all on that thought. My life, from the point of view of affection, has been a failure. I have never really been in love before, but I am crazy about Suzanne Dale. I am wild about her. If you had any sympathy for an unhappy, sympathetic, emotional mortal, who has never yet been satisfied in a woman, you would give her to me. I love her, I love her, by God. He banged the desk with his fist. I will do anything for her. If she comes to me, Colfax can have his position. Winfield can have his Blue Sea Corporation. You can have her money if she wants to give it to you. I can make a living abroad by my art, and I will. Other Americans have done it before me. I love her, I love her. Do you hear me? I love her. And what's more, I'm going to have her. You can't stop me. You haven't the brains. You haven't the strength. You haven't the resources to match that girl. She's brighter than you are. She's stronger. She's finer. She's finer than the whole current day conception of society and life. She loves me, and she wants to give herself to me, willingly, freely, joyously. Match that in your petty society circles if you can. Society? You say you will have me drummed out of it, will you? A lot I care about your society. Hacks, mental lightweights, money-grubbers, gamblers, thieves, leeches, a fine lot. To see you sitting there and talking to me with your grand air makes me laugh. A lot I care for you. I was thinking of another kind of woman when I met you, not a narrow, conventional fool. I thought I saw one in you, but I didn't, did I? Not? You are like all the rest, a narrow, petty, slavish follower after fashion and convention. Well, he snapped his fingers in her face. Go on and do your worst. I will get Suzanne in the long run. She will come to me. She will dominate you. Run to Colfax. Run to Winfield. I will get her just the same. She's mine. She belongs to me. She is big enough for me. The gods have given her to me, and I will have her if I have to smash you and your home and myself and everyone else connected with me. I'll have her, I'll have her. She's mine, she's mine. He lifted a tense hand. Now, you run and do anything you want to. 
Thank God I found one woman who knows how to live in love. She's mine. Mrs. Dale stared at him in amazement, scarcely believing her ears. Was he crazy? Was he really so much in love? Had Suzanne turned his brain? What an astonishing thing. She had never seen him anything like this, never imagined him capable of anything like it. He was always so quiet, smiling, bland, witty. Here he was dramatic, impassioned, fiery, hungry. There was a terrible light in his eyes, and he was desperate. He must be in love. Oh, why will you do this to me? She whimpered all at once, the terror of his mood conveying itself to her for the moment, and arousing a sympathy which she had not previously felt. Why will you come into my home and attempt to destroy it? There are lots of women who will love you. There are lots more suited to your years and temperament than Suzanne. She doesn't understand you. She doesn't understand herself. She is just young and foolish and hypnotized. You have hypnotized her. Oh, why will you do this to me? You are so much older than her, so much more schooled in life. Why not give her up? I don't want to go to Mr. Colfax. I don't want to speak to Mr. Winfield. I will if I have to, but I don't want to. I've always thought so well of you. I know you are not an ordinary man. Restore my respect for you, my confidence in you. I can forgive if I can forget. You may not be happily married. I'm sorry for you. I don't want to do anything desperate. I only want to save poor little Suzanne. Oh, please, please, I love her so. I don't think you understand how I feel. You may be in love, but you ought to be willing to consider others. True love would. I know that she is hard and willful and desperate now, but she will change if you will help her. Why, if you really love her, if you have any sympathy for me or regard for her future, or your own, you will renounce your schemes and release her. Tell her you made a mistake. Write to her now. Tell her you can't do this and not socially ruin her and me and yourself, and so you won't do it. Tell her that you have decided to wait until time has made you a free man, if that is to be, and then let her have a chance of seeing if she will not be happy in a normal life. You don't want to ruin her at this age, do you? She is so young, so innocent. Oh, if you have any judgment of life at all, any regard, any consideration, anything, I beg of you, I beg as her mother, for I love her. Oh, tears came into her eyes again, and she cried weakly in her handkerchief. Eugene stared at her. What was he doing? Where was he going? Was he really as bad as he appeared to be? Was he possessed? Was he really so hard-hearted? Through her grief and Angela's, and the threats concerning Colfax and Winfield, he caught a glimpse of the real heart of the situation. It was as if there had been a great flash of lightning illuminating a black landscape. He saw sympathetically sorrow, folly, a number of things that were involved, and then the next moment it was gone. Suzanne's face came back, smooth, classic, chiseled, perfectly modeled, her beauty like a tightened bow, her eyes, her lips, her hair, the gaiety and buoyancy of her motions, and her smile. Give her up. Give up Suzanne and that dream of the studio, and of joyous, continuous, delicious companionship. Did Suzanne want him to? What had she said over the phone? No, no, no. Quit now? 
and her clinging to him no 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 never he would fight first he would go down fighting never 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 his brain seethed i can't do it he said getting up again for he had sat down after his previous tirade i can't do it you are asking something that is utterly impossible it can never be done god help me i'm insane i'm wild over her go and do anything you want to but i must have her and i will she's mine she's mine she's mine his thin lean hands clenched and he clicked his teeth mine 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 he muttered and one would have thought him a villain in a cheap melodrama mrs dale shook her head god help us both she said you shall never never have her you are not worthy of her you are not right in your mind i will fight you with all the means in my power i am desperate i am wealthy i know how to fight you shall not have her now we will see which will win she rose to go and eugene followed her go ahead he said calmly but in the end you lose suzanne comes to me i know it i feel it i may lose other things but i get her she's mine oh sighed mrs dale wearily half believing him and moving towards the door is this your last word it is positively then i must be going good-bye he said solemnly good-bye she answered white-faced her eyes staring she went out and eugene took up the telephone but he remembered that suzanne had warned him not to call but to depend on her so he put it down again end of section eighty seven